Hey everyone and welcome back to the Firefighters Podcast where we seek to develop, inspire and motivate the world of the emergency services operator through a series of wide-ranging conversations. Now before we go any further, just hit that rate, follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to. It's a key performance indicator for us and helps us reach even more people. Now here's what we've got for you today. Well good evening. As you can see, the flag here at Crowborough Fire Station is still flying at half-mast. And just next to me here, some of the many floral tributes left to Brian Wembridge. Brian, of course, one of the two firefighters, the other Jeff Wicker, who were killed in the fireworks explosion near Halland. Another 12 people were injured. That includes nine members of the Sussex Fire and Rescue, two members of the public and a police officer, a police sergeant. They all went to hospital. Their injuries are being assessed at the moment. Some have been released, some are still at hospital. East Sussex Fire and Rescue Service, obviously, would like to give our condolences to the family and friends of uh, officers of uh, East Sussex Fire and Rescue Service. And Chief Fire Officer Desmond Pritchard has been with those families this evening, uh, giving them the bad news at this particular time. On the 3rd of December 2006, at 1349, East Sussex Fire and Rescue Service attended Marley Farm near Ringmere, East Sussex for an incident detailed as fire and explosion, industrial and commercial. The buildings initially involved were a shed, workshop style fabricated from steel, and wood framing with corrugated steel sheeting, also most notably with a steel ISO container, the contents of which were unknown. Today's episode was brought to you by our good friends at Wood Watches. We put so much thought into the people that we partner with on the podcast and Wood Watches has been with us since the beginning. Now, they have six different collections now. In October, they brought out their new Phyllis collection. Now, I've been speaking to some people in the past who have got that Wood watch for a specific occasion for something really smart, really classy. But the best thing about the Phyllis collection is that it's built to be worn in active surroundings. Now, again, if you're unfamiliar with it, the massive core of all these Wood watches is the upcycling of firefighting materials. And the Fearless collection has got a 100-year-old British Bash firefighter helmet melted down and placed inside the crown of the watch. That's exactly the same as they have with all of their collections. But this one also features repurposed black fire hose. I myself went for the Valiant watch. I've had this for a couple of years now. Really nice i've got it in the red strap there's a whole range of payment options go over and take a look at them whether you're thinking of a retirement gift you've got something special to celebrate or you have just started your emergency services career go over and check them out williamwatches.com the best way to support the podcast is to support our sponsors please take a click in the notes below now back to the show East Sussex Fire and Rescue Service were initially called to Marley Farm to a fire and explosion at approximately 1349 on the 3rd of December 2006. There were two principal legal cases that followed the incident. The first was a criminal case, the outcome of which was that the owners of the site were prosecuted and were convicted of gross negligence and manslaughter. The two defendants, a father and son, received sentences of seven and four years respectively. The second was litigation in the civil courts for compensation on behalf of the families of those killed and also for those who were injured. Court case and respective compensation was heard at the High Court and judgment was given in the firefighters' favour at the end of July 2013. In July, the judge handed down his verdict on the case. His key findings on the issues of fact are summarised as follows. Number 1. East Sussex Fire Authority failed to train staff on the risks of significant explosion with fireworks stored in bulk and the correct manner in which to approach explosive incidents. 2. East Sussex Fire Authority failed to make adequate planning, i.e. to carry out standard inspections, and build their findings into the emergency response plan for an explosives incident at Marley Farm. Despite warnings about the site, the evidence of poor water supplies and their knowledge of the widespread bulk storage of fireworks in Sussex. Number three, East Sussex Fire Authority, through the Mobilisation and Communications Centre, failed to pass on information received in calls they received. For example, that a huge explosion or large explosion had already taken place. Number four, 
East Sussex Fire Authority failed to order an evacuation even once the presence of large fireworks in the shipping container was strongly suspected and the risk of explosion and consequent injury was therefore clear. And finally, number five. East Sussex Fire Authority failed to execute the evacuation properly once it was belatedly ordered, leaving firefighters working very close to the ISO container, which eventually exploded. The incident took the lives of firefighters Jeff Wicker and Brian Wembridge. 13 other emergency services personnel were injured and £824,000 of fire service vehicles were destroyed. In 2011, a report revealed a catalogue of failings surrounding the operation with 66 recommendations for improvements in safety, specialist training, sharing of key information and changes to the law surrounding fireworks. We're now going to go through the STEP incident timeline. STEP is a process of sequentially timed event plotting, often used in debriefs to establish what happened at what time. This is then populated by the use of radio logs, statements, interview records and video footage taken from the incidents. At 13.49 on December 3rd, 2006, the first 999 phone call reported a large explosion at the firework factory at the end of the broil. At that time, Control mobilised a PDA comprising of two extended rescue pumps from Lewis and Uckfield, call signs Echo 1 and Echo 12. At 13.50, the incident was upgraded due to the large number of 999 calls being received, and additional pumps were mobilised Echo 3, extended rescue pump from Barkham. Echo 1 was mobile to the incident with four riders with the temporary watch manager Wells in charge. Echo 12 was mobilised to the incident with five riders with temporary crew commander Simpson in charge. Control passed information to the crews en route informing them of multiple calls being received for this incident. At 1352, Golf 12 temporary station commander Upton was notified of the incident and decides to attend. At 1355, Echo 3 was mobile to the incident with six riders with watch commander Austin in charge. At 1356, Golf 1 Station Commander Meek also decides to attend and books mobile. Statements from the OICs of Echo 1 and Echo 12 state that en route, they could see a lot of smoke and explosions coming through the smoke. They stated that fireworks were going off from Ringmere Village itself. At 1359, Bravo 1, the service media coordinator, Brian Wembridge, was notified to the incident. Arriving first at the incident at 1359, Echo 1, with temporary watch Commander Wells, assumes the role of Level 1 Incident Commander. Echo 1 was driven into the site and stopped at the outer gate to the main drive of Marley Farm. Temporary Watch Commander Wells dismounted the appliance to carry out an initial assessment and described, I was confronted by what looked like a serious fire at the far end. I had problems making an initial assessment of what was on fire. The smoke was extremely acrid, heavy and dense. There were fireworks going off in all directions. Crew members of Echo 1 observed a well-developed fire on either side of the main drive. A van on the main drive by these buildings was seen to be well alight and projectiles were discharging from the structures on the right when looking into the site from the road. A first impression and assistance message was sent. Buildings well alight. Fireworks activating. Make pumps 4. Immediately after, a further assistance message was sent making pumps 6. Wells ordered his crew to reverse Echo 1 into the site and lay out two hose lines. As he approached the incident, Temporary Station Commander Upton contacted Control via his mobile telephone to request the attendance of police for traffic control and water carrier. Echo 12 in attendance at 1401, the appliance was driven onto the entrance and sighted near the outer gate. Temporary Watch Commander Wells instructed Temporary Crew Commander Simpson to augment the water supply to Echo 1 by transferring the contents of Echo 12 appliance tank into the tank of Echo 1. Temporary Crew Commander Simpson and the crew of Echo 12 assisted the crew of Echo 1 in laying out hose lines from which two main jets were deployed. Temporary Watch Commander Wells also tasked Temporary Crew Commander Simpson with securing additional water supplies and told Simpson that there was a hydrant located near the walk-in. A crew commander and firefighter directed the first jet into the box store on the right-hand side of the main drive. Firefighter Watson stated that his jet was directed to protect fire spread into two unaffected units. At 14.03, firefighters Pratt and Portnell 
described directing their second jet to protect the tube store on the right-hand side of the main drive. At 14.03, Police Constable Scott arrived at the incident. Opposite the driveway, there were two persons standing on the verge. One was Nathan Winter. The officer said he approached and said, You need to get a cordon on of at least 300 metres now. The officer responded, Why? Who are you? Nathan Winter then said, I'm the person who was in the building when it went up. The officer asked if he could tell him what happened. And he said, I was placing an igniter in a firework and it went off in my hand and I ran like hell. This message was relayed to police control at 14.05. However, despite being told by the occupier that a 300 metre cordon was required, the message was not passed to Fire and Rescue Service control. At 14.05, Temporary Station Commander Upton describes the scene on his arrival. I then walked into the mouth of the site. Echo 1 was positioned parallel to the rear of the bungalow. One jet was coming from Echo 1. There were two firefighters on the branch and they were positioned roughly adjacent to the grey freight container. I recalled the container was old and rusting and appeared to be part of the fabric of the site. No hazard markings were displayed on it, and a number of fireworks were going off. At 14.05, after taking control, Station Commander Upton sent an assistance message of make pumps 8. After several attempts by multiple crews to secure water, water was eventually established, but the supply was very poor. Temporary Watch Commander Wells realised he did not have sufficient water supply to maintain two jets, so decided to withdraw everything. Firefighter Portnell describes the appliance tank supply was consumed and both jets failed. Wells withdrew the firefighters operating the jets back to the appliance. Temporary Station Commander Upton made contact with Temporary Watch Commander Wells and was informed by Wells of his decision to withdraw due to the lack of water. The station commander stated that Wells confirmed he had not yet carried out a full reconnaissance of the site. Wells advised Upton that he had received conflicting information regarding the nature and location of the hazards and risks on site. During their reconnaissance, Temporary Station Commander Upton and Temporary Watch Commander Wells identified a store containing approximately 20 compressed gas cylinders secured in a cage outside the northwest elevation. Following the reconnaissance, Temporary Station Commander Upton decided to recommit resources into the areas to extinguish the fire. At 1421, Temporary Station Commander Upton received further information from one of the Winter family on site regarding the hazards on site. Station Commander Upton states he found this information to be unclear and sought further clarification. This identified concerns regarding the contents of the shipping container. Following further clarification, he was told the container held fireworks and not wood. At 1421, footage shows a rapid escalation of the fire in Tube Store 1 with a significant increase in noise, fireworks and detonation. Projectiles are issuing from the area of Tube Store 1 and ricocheting in all directions. The northeast end of the ISO container is visible, with no obvious signs of fire impingement or heating at this stage. At 1423, a series of loud bangs were heard by crews at the site gate on the main drive and larger fireworks were seen activating. One firework hit the Echo 12 appliance, which was supplying water from the area of the gate. At around this time, Station Commander Upton stated that after establishing that acetylene cylinders may be present on the site and that the building was becoming involved in fire, he remembers thinking about a 200 meter hazard zone for acetylene, but because of the fireworks going off, he asked a police officer to begin evacuating members of public to around a distance of 600 meters. At 1423, a further informative message was sent from Station Commander Upton. Large range of farm buildings well alight. Building contains fireworks and explosives all involved. Firefighting being carried out at a safe distance and LPG cylinders are involved. Crews in Oscar mode. Hey folks, just wanted to jump in with a quick piece around firefighter health and well-being. Whether you are trying to join the fire service and pass them tricky fitness tests, if you are currently serving or if you are coming up to that next chapter of your life retiring from the emergency services, 
we get so many different questions around it. So in partnership with Fitness for the Frontline, we have come up with a series of guidance and programs specifically designed to reflect the physical elements of the role of a firefighter. So whether it's carrying an LPP across an overgrown field, lifting a ladder above your head, underrunning it, or wrestling with cutting gear for 30 plus minutes at some kind of complicated RTC, our bodies are required to lift, push, and carry objects in very specific circumstances. That is effectively what Fitness on the Frontline focuses on, as well as the longer-term aspects of overall health and wellness for our firefighters. Now, we are definitely not about to be smashing out world records or getting that beach body ready in six weeks rubbish. The systems and programs that we put in place are adjusted for people's current fitness levels, and they're not a prescriptive weight or a one-size-fits-all BS. It is very likely for myself personally that I'm still going to be a firefighter when I'm 60 plus. So longevity in the role is really important to me. And I know it is for so many people out there. It all starts with no obligation, seven days worth of the programming. Absolutely free. So whether you're joining, serving or looking at the next chapter in your life, Fitness for the Frontline is designed by firefighters for firefighters. Now back to the show. At 1429, Station Commander up the states that he had obtained further information regarding the contents of the shipping container which caused him to believe there was now a major hazard to firefighters. He then initiated an evacuation by fireground radio for all personnel to evacuate. At 14.29, the Chief Fire Officer Pritchard was notified of the incident and elected to attend himself. At 14.33, video footage indicates that two areas of flame appear to impinge towards the rear of the ISO container. Having finally re-established water and set up ground monitors, a momentary surge of water from one of the monitors on the main driveway is seen on CCTV briefly striking the top corner of the ISO container. Steam is then visible coming off the corner. In 1441, Firefighter Skeffington from Mike Charlie 21 stated that he noticed the metal container, which was about 20 by 10 feet in size in front of the burning building, had white smoke coming from the bottom of it. He asked a colleague what was in the container. His colleague said in a half-joking voice that there was big fireworks in there. Firefighter Skeffington recalls believing he was being sarcastic, so he took that it was safe, even though he felt that something was wrong. But his colleague had 30 years experience and didn't want to question him. And he also saw that Brian Wembridge was also in that location videoing everything. At 1441, fires venting from the end wall of one of the structures now merged to form a single large fire that continued to impinge on the ISO container. At the same time, firefighter Sweetman stated that he saw Watch Commander Wicker give a hand signal for water on at the monitor close to the ISO container. Firefighter Sweetman then walked from the LPP to inform Watch Commander Wicker that there was a problem priming it. Firefighter Walk from Mike Charlie 21 described having started the LPP using the pull cord but then needed longer than normal to prime the pump using the hand operated stirrup style primer. Firefighter Walk confirmed that once it was primed the LPP operated at 4 bar pressure for just a few seconds before the explosion. Firefighter Thompson, pump operator of Echo 12 who supplied the two monitors on the main drive states that he was very nearly at the point of getting water out of the dam in order to feed the appliance when the explosion happened. Firefighter Skeffington stated that he was asked to go and check the adjustments on the LPP, which he did and made his way back to where Jeff and the monitor were with Brian and his video camera. Video footage at 14.42 shows one jet of water being applied to the ISO container and white smoke or fumes are visible at high levels around the doorframe with a small flame of orange-coloured smoke visible at the centre. Smoke appears to be coming out under pressure at the bottom of the doors. Just after this moment, the last available video frame shows Watch Commander Wicker he is continuing to walk away from the monitor and is looking towards the ground between himself and the chain link fence surrounding the polytunnel area. The ISO container is behind him. Video footage at this time ends and it is likely that the end of the video coincides with the contents of the ISO container moving from deflagration to detonation and rupture of the steel container within the next second. This detonation is the main explosion as described by various witnesses. The timing of the video itself also corresponds with the estimated time of the main explosion as identified by the British Geological Survey. 
In Firefighter Sweetman's statement, as soon as the jet of water hit the steel container, I saw a burst of steam or smoke issuing from the gap at the top of the container doorframe, accompanied by a sound like a loud hiss. Moments later, the smoke and steam were sucked back into the container. Immediately after this, there was a loud bang, and I saw the container doors fly open, followed by a vast fireball. It came out about 10 feet, and after the fireball, there was a massive explosion. Firefighter Skeffington's statement reads that I had just gone through the archway to get back to Jeff, and I was about five or six feet away from him. He was directing the flow of water onto the roof of the container when I felt that something was going to happen. I may have seen the container suck in. I cannot be sure. I turned to my left in order to run back the way I came, but I heard a loud explosion which took me off my feet and threw me about three or four feet into a brick pillar. Crew Commander Lily's statement reads that the container was not given any indication of heat. It was not glowing, and there was nothing melting near or on it. I could not see anything to say what was in it. The next event I describe I can say happened in a split second. I saw from the centre of the top of the container, the doors started to flex. As they flexed, I could see a flame appear from the inside. At that moment, I heard and felt an enormous explosion. I was literally blown off my feet backwards into the air. I believe I was about 8 metres from the container when it exploded. Maybe 2 paces, 3 paces in front of the dividing breaching, because I'd been at the hand-controlled dividing breaching and I remember I walked forward to get a slightly better view of the container, looking at it and then obviously flame came out of the top. The doors flew open. I turned... And then I was either travelling through the air, or at some point standing like that. Then that's when all the bits of metal hit me. A lot of flame came out of the top of the doors. I mean, this is all a fraction of a second. The doors came open, and the way I would best describe it was looking at the bottom of a space rocket, just about to take off from the burners at the bottom. You know that massively accelerated flame? It could best be described as that. The doors flew open and then the explosion occurred and there was a massive pressure wave. You only ever feel the pressure wave, you don't actually hear the explosion. A massive accelerated flame came out of the container, like a supercharged backdraft, for want of a better word. Also injured was Police Sergeant Simmons. The police sergeant was about 10 metres from the warehouses with fencing between him and the warehouse. When the large explosion occurred, he was thrown from his feet. He then crawled behind the police car where he found an injury to his leg. Brian Wembridge was found by firefighters outside the wall of the site. Personnel from Echo 12 and Echo 4 report giving first aid when carrying Brian to an ambulance using a section of ladder as an improvised stretcher. Jeff Ricker was discovered by firefighters outside the wall as well. At 14.44, knowing that he had to take control of the situation, AC Ashley returned to the road and met temporary station commander Upton and told him to commence a roll call. In 14.50, an informative message came from AC Ashley. Make pumps 10. Major explosion involving many casualties involving firefighters. Area being evacuated. Now moving into transitional mode. At 14.52, the chief fire officer is in attendance. In 1515, AC Ashley was told by the chief fire officer that he wanted to brief all fire crews. All crews were moved to a nearby business. By the time the briefing took place, all the roll call had been ascertained that all personnel were accounted for. This included those who were injured. What was not certain were casualties amongst members of the public. In 1536, an informative message from AC Ashley was sent to control. Five fire service personnel taken to hospital. One police officer taken to hospital. Two members of the public taken to hospital. All persons not yet accounted for. Crews have been withdrawn to a safe distance. They're now Delta mode. At 1700, the Chief Fire Officer, Group Commander, and an FBU Secretary approached and entered the Marley Farm site from the main entrance to attempt to recover the body of Watch Commander Wicker. On reaching Watch Commander Wicker's location, the decision was made, in the circumstances, that it was not appropriate to attempt to recover him. Watch Commander Wicker was then covered over with a salvage sheet, weighed down with bricks from debris on the site. The Chief Fire Officer and colleagues then paid a brief tribute to the Watch Commander Wicker, prior to withdrawing. 
At 2024 that night, an informative message was sent. The site was being allowed to burn under supervision of crews. An exclusion zone was set up of 200 metres. The crews were in Delta mode, and all civilian personnel not yet accounted for. The incident was finally closed at 10.32 on Saturday the 9th of January 2007. Army bomb disposal officers have arrived at the scene near Lewis in East Sussex to carry out an investigation into the blaze, the remains of which you can see from these live helicopter pictures. There were still some secondary fires burning into the uh, hours this morning, which now appear at least to have subsided. The Firefighters Podcast is a global podcast seeking to develop, inspire and motivate the world of the emergency services operators. Through a series of wide-ranging conversations celebrating those within our sector, we seek to encourage and support this incredible group of people. It's brought to you by myself, Operational Firefighter, Pete Wakefield, and I speak with individuals from all walks of life who I sincerely believe can add value to or develop those who have chosen this life path. Please support your emergency services wherever you are in the world, and thank you for listening.